Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, hello, everybody. It's uh, great to have you along today. And my guest today is David Carter, the Chief Executive Officer of Banking and Wealth with the Suncorp Group. And I've known David for a long time, I guess... uh, it would be at least eight years. And in fact, his previous CEO was one of my very first guests on the Arate podcast a couple of years ago. So it was great to uh, reconnect with David and have a chat to him about obviously his own career, but what's been happening in Suncorp and uh, you know the banking industry in general, vision for the future. Really great conversation. And David is somebody who's worked in the banking sector his entire career. Uh, He's also uh, a non-executive director with Queensland Ballet, and we talk a bit about that too. So I'm sure for those people in the banking industry, uh, this will be a great conversation to listen to, but also for others who are looking to progress their own career, perhaps to being a CEO in the future. It's interesting to listen to how David's career unfolded, and I'm sure you'll get some valuable insights Uh, Before we get into the interview with David, let me briefly introduce myself to you if you're a new listener to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the founder and CEO of Arate Executive and we're an executive search firm, uh, i.e. a headhunter, and we're retained by organisations to go out and headhunt very specific talent for them for senior leadership opportunities and board roles uh, throughout Australia, although we're based in Brisbane. We have a very unique uh, headhunting solution called our Headhunted Shortlist, where we run a headhunting process up to the delivery of a fully telephone interviewed shortlist within 20 working days for 7.5% of package, which uh, is very affordable, it's very quick, and as I'm sure you can imagine, very popular. So if you have any needs within your own business, I would welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about that. Well, sit back now and enjoy this conversation with David Carter. Well, hi, David. Welcome to the Arate Podcast. Great to have you along. I think this is our fourth try at this over probably four months or so, isn't it? Yeah, it is, Richard. Thanks right. for having me. Well, it's good to uh, uh, finally get uh, the opportunity to have a chat to you. I know we've known each other for a long time, um, but I'm sure there'll be lots and lots of listeners very interested in hearing your story. Um, but perhaps to begin with, let's just talk about you know your current range of responsibilities, please. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, I, I am the CEO of Banking and Wealth at Suncorp, and uh, Suncorp, as many people will know, is the, the largest of the Queensland listed public companies. Uh, and as a bank, uh, we're I don't know six or seven in the country, somewhere around there. So amongst the uh, the middle tier, as it's described, right uh, in the industry. Um, I also uh, am a board member of the Queensland Ballet, which is really interesting. Yeah. And um, I'm the deputy chair of the Australian Bankers Association, which right. has also been. Uh, a very interesting time. I bet it has uh, for the for the sector. Yeah. Well, why don't we just uh, talk about Queensland Ballet first? Uh, I mean, Lee as uh, the I don't know if he calls himself the CEO now, but certainly artist in residence. Uh, very very um, prolific and uh, you know great at building their PR and so on. I'm on the advisory board of. Queensland Symphony Orchestra, and we look at Queensland Ballet and go, oh, we wish we could do what they do. So yeah. uh, congratulations. <clears throat> well, it's very little to do with me, but I think Lee is uh, he's the artistic director and 
he uh, is an amazing person and obviously if you've read about his life story or seen the movie literally yeah, yeah. Uh, you can just see um, see that and it comes through and it comes through in everything I experience right around the ballet he's very very optimistic he's always pushing yeah to, to grow and get bigger and stronger and better and uh, very very passionate mm. and how did that uh, board role come about for you yeah, they were looking for um, uh, some, some additions to the board and they were particularly keen on some people with a corporate background. Yep. Suncorp has an ongoing relationship with the ballet. Yep. Uh, so between those couple of things, that introduction came up right. and, um, and, and I've been on now a bit over a year. Fantastic. And uh, where, how do you feel being on a not-for-profit board either interferes or um, uh, uh, amplifies your executive work? I think it's just a fantastic opportunity, uh, both to make a contribution, yeah. uh, which is great, that's very important to me, mm-hmm. uh, but also the nature of the business, uh, if we call it that, of a not-for-profit, yeah. uh, versus the nature of the business of a corporate, sure. and and, um, uh, and just understanding the dynamics mm. uh, and the different pressures and tensions. Mm. Um, obviously, uh, arts is a sector which relies very heavily on, on, on sponsorships, yeah. on, on philanthropy and on government yeah. grants, as well as... As the as the paying mm-hmm. uh, ticket holder, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and the nature of arts is a, uh, a really interesting uh, thing for someone whose background is financial services yeah. and, and you know often around numbers and rules yeah. and regulations. Yeah, so. one of the things that amazed me when I went to my first QSO performance because I haven't been for a long time. I prefer a loud, you know, distorted guitars. Yes. Uh, was how many young people were there? You know, I expected it to be full of old crusties. Um, uh, and yet there were heaps of young people, there were heaps of people in jeans, and it's the whole sort of that um, uh, conservative arts community shifted a lot, hasn't it? Yeah, I think the QSO has done a really great job with, uh, for want of a better word, modernising um, its its appeal and, and, you know, with the new conductress and, mm-hmm. and other things that have been done has probably shifted the audience mm-hmm. over time. I think the Brisbane arts scene is, is really starting to come on. I, I do think the... Uh, the ballet with Lee in particular has had a big impact, but mm. QSO is doing good things. There's some great shows coming to QPAC now. That South Brisbane precinct is mm. really an alive and exciting place. And those of us who have been around Brisbane a long time will remember the first go post expo of yeah, South sure. Brisbane didn't quite work. No. Uh, and a few businesses didn't, didn't see mm. um, longevity. But mm. it's now a really thriving, bustling place to be. And yeah, definitely. I, I'm just so excited about the opportunities for Brisbane to really come alive, it's an awesome climate mm. for for that style of lifestyle. There's mm. ten and a half months of the year where it's fantastic to be outside and out and about. Well, even now, you know, uh, leading into uh, April, I'm still, you know, finding it very, very humid. It's, yeah, it's the weather's definitely changed. Yeah, well, for those listening who want to visit Brisbane, it's not that humid, but it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, just perfect actually. Uh, I think good, we're good, in, good job. We're in that mix of weather between beautiful and perfect. You right. know, those alternate days we get up here, so for sure, it's awesome. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, a very pointed question before we get on, because I get asked this all the time: um, Are you a graduate of the AICD? Yes, I am. Okay. How important do you think it is to be a graduate of AICD? even on a pro bono, not-for-profit board? Yeah, look, I must say some of the uh, uh, things I studied or, or, or the content of that course actually specifically uh, talked into not-for-profits and mm-hmm. charities and gave me a different appreciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I'm also on the board of our superannuation trustee. And again, you, you're there for the members, not the shareholder in yeah. those roles. And yeah. 
uh, and not-for-profits are kind of the same mm. thing. I mean, it's just a different perspective. Sure. As a director on a not-for-profit, you've got some significant personal liability mm-hmm. uh, involved, as, as you do in super, and um, uh, it's very useful to remember that. But it's also mm-hmm. understanding the purpose. Yeah. Corporates have purposes too, and, mm-hmm. and obviously in financial services come under a lot of criticism for perhaps losing sight of some of the mm-hmm. purpose. But, um, but I think particularly in not-for-profits, um, there's a very clear uh, sense of why you're there and why you exist. And yep. as a board, you're, you've absolutely got to bring some diligence and skill and governance mm-hmm. to the role, but you're also there to help promote and advance mm-hmm. yep. uh, the purpose. Okay, folks, you heard it here directly from the lion's mouth, as I say over and over again, even if you want a board career in the not-for-profit world, I highly recommend you do the AICD graduate qualification um, because apart from nothing else, you want to protect your own risk, don't you? You do, and it's a great opportunity to understand the nuances between mm. uh, the different types of entities you might be on a board for, mm-hmm. and you know, I'd say a private enterprise versus a public, uh, a not-for-profit. Even I suspect uh, a more uh, clear charity, which mm-hmm. I don't have uh, a board experience mm-hmm. on, versus the arts, mm-hmm. um, public sector versus uh, private sector. It's mm-hmm. you know, just getting an appreciation of the different things and. Um, uh, approaches and, and uh, thinking that's required sure. as a board member. I agree with you, Richard. It's a it's a really important thing. I think the world is is looking for people to be professionals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to be professionally qualified for what they're doing. And mm-hmm. the obligations and responsibilities of directors are not getting smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really valuable to have that behind you. Definitely. Right. Let's talk a bit more about your day gig now. Yes. So, um, Chief Executive Officer, Banking and Wealth. Just give us a sense of the scope of that role in terms of headcount, revenue, reports, whatever. Yeah, so uh, we we organise along functional lines uh, at Suncorp. So I am probably the publicly thought of as the person who runs the bank. The bank runs across a couple of functions, but yeah. I'm responsible for the activities of mm-hmm. banking at, and, and wealth at Suncorp, no matter how it's kind of discharged. So mm-hmm. from a regulatory point of view, I spend a lot of time engaging with our key regulators uh, in terms of the way we think about the policies, whether it's you know, policies and practices and processes and systems around banking and wealth. Uh, that's mine. I have 650 or so people in the team, although mm-hmm. there are a couple of thousand people across Suncorp who are involved in, mm-hmm. in providing banking products and services and mm-hmm. supporting that to our customers. We have about 1.1 million customers, um, not all in Queensland, although that is a big part of our base. And our main market is mum and dad, the businesses they own, the farms that they run, mm-hmm. and it's really exciting. I really mm-hmm. love that segment of the market. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, fantastic. We've got some amazing business people in this country. Some of our farmers are incredibly e- effective and mm-hmm. efficient. They are innovators. Some of our small business owners are amazing. The innovation, the simple things you see people do in order to succeed in this mm. country, it's just... Uh, it's really fabulous. Mm, no, that's excellent. We'll talk a lot more about your Suncorp journey uh, in a little while, but why don't we go back now to where it all began for you and tell us a little bit about where you were born, mum and dad, brothers and sisters and early life. Yeah, well, I'm actually uh, someone who's born in England and uh, uh, to a father who's uh, South African, although I grew up in, 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 in what is now Zimbabwe, but when he grew up it was Rhodesia. Uh, and uh, my mother is English. My father was in the Air Force and right. so I was born... Uh, in Leicestershire, in a town that was near one of the RAF bases mm-hmm. uh, that existed at the time. And um, I guess when I was 13 or 14 months old, my father uh, had developed a back injury uh, in the Air Force. He was a navigator on bombers and he used okay. to spend his time hunched over. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, and so they had to give that away, and he became an air traffic controller. And okay. Out of a choice of um, South Africa, Canada, or Australia, right? Uh, we ended up in Australia, uh-huh. and um, uh, with one of my brothers who'd not long been born at that stage, okay. and then a third brother came along um, who was born in Australia uh, three or four years later. So there's three boys in our family. Um, we originally landed in Melbourne, and after three months, uh, ended up here in uh, Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, you were only in Melbourne for three months before Brisbane. Yes. Was that because you couldn't find the right opportunity there, your dad, or? Oh, um, I, I think it's because that's where the training okay. was done, and then the opportunity for a permanent role right. uh, was—I don't know what, how many options he had, but right. Brisbane's where we landed. But right? that was civilian, not military. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how old were you then? I would have been no more than about 18 months old, I guess, by right. the time I arrived in, uh, in G-Bung in okay. Brisbane, and, uh, and things kick off. Okay, and so um, uh, as you were going through your schooling, uh, you know, what were you thinking you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, so my, my father's family in particular has a reasonable history in military service, so I was, um, I was thinking I'd be going down that path, but um, I was an asthmatic, or still am a mild asthmatic, so that doesn't work. No. When it comes to flying aeroplanes and yeah. air force, so that not only curtailed that dream, but curtailed any chance of me doing science in high school as well, because it wasn't necessary. Right uh, after that point, so uh-huh. um, so you uh, just chucked it out. I, I yeah, I just went down <laughs> the humanities path, <laughs> right. and um, and that was good. So um, so sometime uh, I guess around the point of working that out, I um, I started thinking it was interesting. I did a little scrapbook, and uh, I used to cut jobs out of the newspaper. And when I went back and looked at that scrapbook some years later, um, it was, um, you know, financial controller jobs or uh, those sorts of roles in different industries. Um, So I kind of, I was very interested in finance, markets, Mm -hmm. economics, Mm -hmm. uh, modern history, Mm -hmm. um, uh, those things. And so um, that's kind of started to shape. And by the time I left school, I was, um, I went to do commerce at UQ. Okay. And And do you have sort of jobs while you're in high school you know uh, yeah I did a couple of Christmas jobs as you do and then um, I think my first job I was only 10 or 11 it was uh, helping at the local fruit shop for cash money but right. um, packing potatoes and uh, going out to the markets very early uh, with a guy called Charlie which was good <laughs> um, and um, and then uh, yeah I think when I left university when I left school I should say I took up a job driving around uh, delivering pizza right for Silvio's pizza uh-huh. which uh, it was I the, remember it well. The original one, yeah, and that was great fun out in the um, out in the suburbs. So uh, okay. it was. I did that all through university. And you studied full time. I did. Yeah, yeah. And what happened after that? So um, look, I was really just lucky in that cohort of people in the very late nineteen eighties who, uh, if you wanted a job after you were graduating, there was a job available. Yeah. And by April of your third year of this course, if you didn't have a job, it was because you didn't want to. Right. Uh, and so I. Um, the normal pathway out of that degree at the time was to go and join a chartered accounting firm. Mm-hmm. I'd done a couple of weeks' um, vacation work mm-hmm. uh, in audit and worked out that wasn't going to be my career path. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I'd become involved in a student group uh, which was for commerce and economic students. And one of the things we'd done uh, throughout my second year was organise a, uh, a conference for Asia Pacific, for okay. I can't remember how many people right. came, 140, but it involved raising a lot of sponsorship from corporates. And uh, as part of that, I engaged with ANZ, right. who became a sponsor of that, along with the infamous Quintex and MIM mm-hmm. and a range of other mm-hmm. businesses that may or may not still exist. But the um, uh, 
I just became more aware and awake to the opportunities in banking and right. the more I looked at it, the more it seemed to be really appealing, the ability to have lots of different roles mm. within one large organisation. Mm. At that time, ANZ had a big international business, mm -hmm. they were big in private bank, they were quite big in institutional banking and, and I always thought, you know, that merchant banking world, I read a book by Dick Francis called Banker, right. which essentially is about the murky world of horse racing, but, yeah. but it was kind of about, the main character was a merchant banker. And, right. Uh, I'd gone, oh, that sounds like me, that sounds pretty cool. So he was driving an Aston Martin. But, uh, <laughs> I used to love a bit of Dick Francis. Yeah, I, I read every, I haven't read one of those books in yeah, well, I would, 30 I years. I read every book Dick Francis ever right. wrote and then uh, read most of the John Franken ones, which are very similar as and, well. And well. Who else was it? Clive Cussler? I've read a lot of Clive Cussler books. Uh, it's good to escape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the, uh, your holiday trash. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So just turn the brain off. Yeah, yeah, okay. read, read a book in a night. It's good. So... Um, uh, it's harder to read Custler tonight because uh, he writes long books and right. Tom Clancy, the master Clancy. of the 1,100-page uh, novel. So, well, I'll um, tell you, oh, we're getting segued off here. My son, who's just about to turn 12, he plays the Tom Clancy games on PlayStation. Yeah. I, it, they, that is worth a fortune now. I mean, we're talking, uh, as a guy who's writing books, I don't know if he's still alive, but interesting how they've been able to progress with technology. With well, the franchise. Yeah. yeah. And the brand. Uh, so right. now... Uh, I mean, Clive Custler must be very old, but he still releases books, but they're released as Clive Custler with someone right, else. Yeah. I'm not sure how much work Clive Custler does. Right. He just leaves his name oh, to the front cover. But fair enough. Yeah, so no, I, I mean, I often pick up on a, a particular author in a series of right. a bit of escapology and just okay. read them all. And oh, we'll have to uh, compare notes later. Yeah. So you joined ANZ? I joined ANZ as a graduate in business banking. Yeah. And uh, right at the start of the end of the boom. Right. And so uh, um, by the end of 1990, uh, of course, the uh, the recession we had to have is starting to really get moving. And mm -hmm. uh, ANZ have been doing a lot of activity in property. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, for those who remember the sector at the time, they would remember that, that ANZ and Westpac didn't do so well, uh, particularly on the back of property and the entrepreneurs. So mm -hmm. uh, I always reflect on that now as a, as a master's degree in banking and finance. Right. Uh, because I think in times of crisis and challenge, you get the best learning in your experience. Yeah. And that was three years of right. lots of learning and experience. Well, it's that, that old thing about how does an alchemist turn lead into gold by putting it into a crucible, you know, and yes. applying lots of heat. Yeah. And that's really what you're talking about. It is. And it's like that saying, I'm not wasting a crisis. So right. um, I think, you know, out of that came lots of things. But for me personally, uh, as a... As a young person in banking mm. and finance at the time. It was just an amazing... It wasn't fun mm. <laughs> at the time, as yeah. I remember at the time, but it was, uh, I thought, two great lessons. One is obviously longer term in, in, in the natural cycles in banking and, and what risk is all about in, mm -hmm. in banking and the tail risk in, in banking. Um, and then the other was the, the way teams work. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were restructuring ourselves routinely for several years in that organisation. Right. And yet... It was the team you worked with most day to day who got you through the sure who got you through it all. Yeah, and so what eventually took you from ANZ to Suncorp? Yeah, I, I spent uh, sixteen years or so at ANZ in the end, and I got to work in Melbourne, mm -hmm. uh, did some different things, ended up in Sydney running their financial planning business mm -hmm. in New South Wales, and um, I, I guess I'd spent some time. I started my career in the front of the customers, mm -hmm. particularly business owners. And, and, and you know, ag ag was a big part of the ANZ business up here, and um, and I guess I'd ended up in head office roles, and then gone back into. I needed to get back to where the 
the front of the business was, which is why it ended up in yeah. financial planning. I quite, I'm very passionate about the value of advice and, and things for people, so that, that was important to me. But um, I guess I got offered an opportunity to look at the self-employed advisor market, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I like small business. Mm-hmm. I like financial advice. At that stage, the career pathway for me at ANZ involved either heading off to Asia or, or not clear what else. And mm-hmm. Asia was a great option until my wife... Uh, developed a bit of an intolerance or, uh, uh, you know, some medical stuff and it seemed to be associated with um, with salt. Right, and, and, so, and so on. Yeah, sodium in particular. Right, and right. Asia's probably not the place to be living sure. if you're not sure, yeah. uh, you know, about sodium intake. So kind of took Asia off the table for us. Right. Um, and that I decided to go and work um, for Prominent which, okay. uh, and run their advice business. And then not long after that, it was uh, merged into or taken over by... Uh, Suncorp. Right. And that's how I ended up at Suncorp. Okay. And I mean, we'll talk more about this, but looking through your career, you, 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 one of the things you said earlier was banking offers a great opportunity to move in different functionality yeah. within the same organisation. Do you think at some point you had a clear uh, desire to become a CEO and you started to manage your career to give you the relevant types of experience? Or was it more, you know, it just kind of fell in, uh, things happened as they happened? Yeah, so the textbook answer, of course, would be to say, yes, I've had a plan, I've right. followed it relentlessly, but that's not me. So um, I've always just been keen on the idea of learning, achieving and being challenged and um, and been very open to the idea of doing different things that mm. were going to give me those, those three um, outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, you know, I've been really quite open to doing lots of different things. Now, mm-hmm. I guess over a period of time it starts to... It starts to build that, you know, you look at it and go, well, actually, there's a nice portfolio of experiences starting to build Mm. here. Uh, I seem to be becoming more senior, so where does that future take Mm. me? But Mm -hmm. it has been less important to me as to what the role was and more important to me as to what it offered me personally in terms of those Mm -hmm. three things and Mm -hmm. and development, but also who would I be working with and who would I be working for? Right. And increasingly, as I get a bit older, that's that's more and more important to me now uh, than it once was. And so um, how would you generally describe the way that that pathway uh, uh, opened itself up to you at Suncorp? I mean, as you said, you've worked across a range of functions. Talk us through a, you know, a short um, pricey of your career at Suncorp up until now. Yeah, so at Sun, I started running their, fi- or running their financial advice business and mm-hmm. then by luck in a way, when the merger occurred, um, the related funds management business, the... The, the person running that had had to uh, step back, had a back issue or something, and mm-hmm. the guy who I had reported to at the time was moved in to run the funds management business, and so I was put in to run a broader business and mm-hmm. portfolio, which was lovely. Um, uh, I've had a couple of moments in my career, both at ANZ and Suncorp, where uh, someone I worked for has said, I think it'd be a really good idea for you to do something that I, as David Carter, had never thought of doing. Right. And what I've worked out over time is it's a good thing to say yes. Right. Uh, so these were mentors of yours? They, they effectively worked that way, yeah. yeah. And, and they've said, look, I, um, I think you'd be really good at doing this. And I go, no, no, I'm this guy over here. Right. And uh, you know, one of the things that happened at ANZ, I, I was in a role um, reviewing credit risk management. You know, it was called credit inspection. And anyway, coming, I went into a project because everyone needed to work on projects. And uh, But I guess I kind of... And in my mind, I was taking on these roles to go and work in corporate institutional banking because, mm. you know, that's what 
you know, I thought my skills would be best applied to and mm. someone said we want you to keep doing more work in retail right. and regional. I'm kind of going, that's not really, you know, mm. ex- exercising my brain as much. Turned out I really loved it. So mm. that's an example. Mm. Um, but do you think that they, uh, in their mind, saw you as having the potential to reach a much higher level and so they were helping you to make these choices to build your toolbox? Yes. Or was it more, there's a vacancy here, David's a confident guy that we trust, Let's just throw them in there to fix it. Yeah, there's been a couple of... There's right. a mix of those. So there's partly been a... You seem able to pick up things that are broken. Can you fix it? Right. Uh, and there's a couple where it's been actually... Uh, we think this would be great for you. Okay. Uh, and it's helped me as well. So I reflect now a lot in the way I think about um, recruiting people for roles. What are the capabilities a person brings to the role? Not what's their experience mm. in the role? Sure. So... Um, uh, with balance, some parts yeah. of banking you actually need people who really have deep experience. But mm-hmm. but if you've got the balance in the team right, it gives you a lot of flexibility. So I actually need a particular capability. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to have come from banking. Mm-hmm. But do I think this person is, is um, uh, flexible and resilient enough to yeah. be able to apply their deep capabilities to the business of banking? And it hasn't let me down very many times. It's actually worked out. And I guess that's what happened to me. Sure. That's excellent. Let's just segue out on that for just a second. Yeah. So... Um, what you're talking about is largely what I talk about in my book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market, yes. is that if you are very um, competent at being able to communicate your key, achievement, key achievements and transferable skills, it does create opportunity to perhaps move into industries which aren't your same job, same industry background. Yes. So, um, but in reality, how often would that happen? I mean, if you've got senior roles in your team, um, you go to the market, you know, is this a regular thing that you're drawing talent out of industry or a, a very occasional thing? No, I think for us it's it's occasional, partly because we don't have lots of turnover, which yeah. is positive, but, um, but partly, you know, again, banking per se or wealth management, there is a depth of, you just need the right balance if it sure. gets to a point where there's not enough people who understand it yeah. and have been through cycles. My experience, my early experience with ANZ in the recession, it's a long cycle, right. this stuff, and... and um, often think banks go wrong when they get rid of the people who went through the last bad cycle sure. uh, and they think, oh, no, we'll get some new people who are smarter, younger and yeah. know more and yeah. it, they always blow up. So yeah. so I think it's uh, important to get that balance and the diversity. It's really about diversity, isn't yeah. it? So, well, I mean, uh, banking's not alone there. I mean, the mining, no. the mining industry, the construction industry, um, it, they're often they're very short-sighted. Um, we need to give shareholders returns. We need to reduce expense. We'll get rid of all of our grey hair. Suddenly, the market starts to shift, and you know they're in a position where they either don't have the talent anymore, and they can't attract them back because people say, "Why would I go and work in a large institution when basically, you know, the going gets hot? I just get chucked out." So, um, yeah, I th- it's a it's a real issue, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've always, from a point of view of um, leading a, a team or a business, um, always been rewarded from the philosophy of looking mm. at the capabilities and, and the skill it's brought. And the other one I learned over time eventually, it took me a while, was um, uh, it's good to employ people who are smart, who are better than you or smarter mm. than you in certain parts of the business and, yeah. and eventually an acceptance that actually on any one given topic there's probably someone better at it than you. Yeah. Uh, and that's a good thing. And yeah. some of the people I've worked with over time, when I've had different roles, that's been, again, an important lesson for me. Mm. Um, I was given an opportunity to run a a direct uh, life business and uh, that involves a lot of deep marketing and mm-hmm. customer expertise that I had some background in but not mm. enough of and a lady I worked with who was um, 
who was really, really great at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, I got a lot of development out of that personally mm-hmm. sure. and learned a lot. Um, and we were able to, to do some really good things as a team. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that still happens today. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the other thing I look at is in a team, I think if you've got a really strong, technically capable team that the, a person that's going to report to a person you're recruiting, it gives you a lot more flexibility as to who you have come into the role and what other things they bring yeah. to, to the table other than technical skill. And yeah. vice versa, when you're a bit short mm. uh, in technical competence in the roles that will report to the role, you, you've kind of got to go with a more technically strong person yeah. to try and build the capability in the team. Yeah. And your background, I mean, is unusual in the fact that you're managing large-scale businesses. What in, um, motivated you or encouraged you to go back to you know, a fairly traditional CFO role then? That's a great example uh, of someone I trusted who said, I think this would be good for you. And, and it was after I'd come back from... I'd gone to New Zealand. I ran our life insurance business in New Zealand, which was awesome. Uh, great group of people, good business, and we did some really good things. And uh, I needed to come back to... Brisbane, um, and the reality is I was going to join the bank. Right. Suncorp in Brisbane because that's pretty much what was in Brisbane to sure. do. And yeah. I said, well, I'll do that, but I'd like to go and spend more time around the customer product and marketing because mm-hmm. I see in my repertoire of things that would be worth building out at this point in time. And Because you had a vision of CFO, a CEO at that stage? No, or? because I thought it was a gap in my experience profile right. that would help me, to your point, Build out a more balanced profile for mm-hmm. transferable skills, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, whether it was in the within the company, within the industry, or outside the mm-hmm. industry. Recognising that as a family unit, we decided to be in Brisbane for a yeah, while, sure, and uh, particularly around our children. So, so that was important. Um, so I've been doing that job for a while, less than twelve months, and the CFO role for the bank had become available. And and uh, John, who was the CEO at the time, said. Um, you know, I'm looking for someone. I keep telling them I want someone who looks like you. Mm. And uh, he said, so I just thought I'd ask you to do it anyway. Right. And I went, oh, okay. Well, I was thinking I was going to do the customer and digital and marketing piece, John. But yeah. uh, I reflected on it overnight and I thought, well, actually, each time someone's said to me, I'd like you to do something you weren't thinking right. of doing, yeah. it's worked out pretty okay. well. So um, I took it on. Good. John, it was was one, John was one of my very first he podcast was. guests. He was. He was a very, yeah. very good leader, John. Yeah, and, and I've uh, uh, always uh, enjoyed my interaction yeah. with him. Uh, he's doing some board work now and he'll be an excellent board member. So. <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll put a link to John's LinkedIn profile in the, yeah. uh, in the notes uh, if you need a board director, reach out. Yeah. And so um, uh, you were sitting in the role of CFO for about 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, John obviously resigned his role. Yes, he, he, he retired from executive yeah. uh, life and, um, you know, his son went through a... A process as, as, as a company does and, right. and I was offered the role to be the CEO of Banking and Wealth. Right and so um, two questions around that so what was the mandate when you took the role? You know Dave you've been with the bank for a long time you've set up across a whole variety of functions um, we now want you to step in as CEO what what were the things that you were engaged in that role to achieve? Yes yeah, so Suncorp was in the, the early stages of, of a, a change to strategy around um, better engaging with customers mm-hmm. across a broad range of products and services and starting to think about the adjacent products and services mm-hmm. that a customer might need, whether it's for banking or insurance. So, And up to that point, I'd spent some time, particularly post-GFC, in a recovery sense for the bank itself, mm-hmm. uh, being very focused and specialised on being a bank and insurance business and a, and a life mm-hmm. insurance and wealth manager. So uh, part of it was about we, we, we're shifting uh, we're moving from verticals to a horizontal mm-hmm. kind of model, and we need people uh, at the leadership level who are going to mm-hmm. uh, drive that 
that outcome. Uh, it was we need we're going to grow, uh, and um, uh, and we need to you know face into a reality of lower for longer in terms of rates. So mm -hmm. how do we get more efficient, and, mm -hmm. and um, how do we now start to think about um, you know, new technology and mm -hmm. process changes and other things to be ready for that now. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, of course, we're late 2016, uh, we are a long way away from understanding there's about to be a Royal Commission or anything else. And, sure. and the wave that has come with that yeah. uh, is going to arrive. But uh, So that's sort of where we start. Mm -hmm. um, there have been some really good work done over many years around the core of the bank. Uh, some good people had come into the bank and, 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 and moved on as well. But you know, the, the, the balance sheet was starting to emerge, it was pretty strong, having gone through a challenging period. Mm -hmm. The funding profile, which is really important for a bank, it was in a good place and getting better, and um, yeah, we were set, so it was good. Mm. And um, at the time that you were offered the role of CEO, uh, did you do some kind of internal inventory of skill sets required and, and said, okay, I'm strong in these areas, I'm weaker in this, I need support here or some more education or uh, did you do that kind of inventory at the time? Yeah, I, I certainly thought about what does, having regard to the broader group uh, strategy and business model, what does what does the banking uh, function or banking and wealth function need to look like? Mm -hmm. Where are we uh, strong and where are we um, less strong? Mm -hmm. And um, where do we need more focus and uh, and where do we need um, you know, where could I afford to have less focus mm -hmm. and um, uh, so part of that was um, you know our, 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 uh, was, was thinking about the product the key products in a bank are deposits and lending and it's sure. pretty simple yeah hasn't changed much over a long period of time mm -hmm. and particularly when your main market is retail and mm -hmm. small business and and farmers it's it's it doesn't get too sophisticated beyond that and mm -hmm. so uh, we needed a bit sharper focus on each of those, right? Uh, and so that was one change uh, that was made at the time. Um, and you know, I, I have a range of stakeholders, so you get feedback on all of the people and the team, and you think about who, are, where is change important to to help shift opinions and mm -hmm. and beliefs, and, mm -hmm. and and whether they're within the team or outside the team, and and where is it important to retain uh, people? What are the skills that, and the mix of skills and mm -hmm. the balance? I often think about when you get an opportunity to put a team together. Um, you have a group of people around the table who have a, have a clear role, but what's the second skill they bring? So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, sometimes you go, well, actually, I don't necessarily want the HR person to be the only person thinking about people yep. or HR. So yep. who else in the team mm -hmm. has a real bent towards mm -hmm. thinking about people and culture mm -hmm. and can bring that conversation or who's got mm -hmm. very good strategic skills? And, you know, sometimes you're in a team where there's someone on the table who's a brilliant strategist but the next nearest person to them is so far away, mm. uh, it's ineffective. Mm. So, you know, uh, when I was in New Zealand, I had the opportunity to, to recruit someone who could bridge the gap mm -hmm. uh, at the team level between where the, most of the team was on strategy and where my product and marketing guy was, who was, you know, very, very good at it, but a long way away from the mm -hmm. team. And so the lady I, I brought in for a particular role could, could, could bring people closer together and make us a more effective mm -hmm. uh, unit there. So. And, I mean, this philosophical way of leading, of looking at the team and the culture changes required and, um, you know, you mentioned HR shouldn't be the only one thinking about HR. Is that a philosophy that, you know, you largely have developed yourself over your career or have you taken inspiration from, you know, other best practice organisations or leaders? Uh, I... Um I guess it's about the application of the learning for me right. and uh, of my experiences and where I've, 
you know, where I've reflected on things that have seemed to have accelerated fast and gone really well and yeah. where it felt like walking through treacle. Right. Uh, and some of the characteristics of those scenarios. Yeah. And for me, philosophically, I just think I learn from everyone I've ever worked for, I've learned stuff. Now, whether mm-hmm. I've learned good things or what, or I've learned the things not to do, right. every person has been a learning opportunity sure. for me. Okay. Uh, and it's been fantastic from that point of view. So it's an amalgam, I mm-hmm. think, of, of, of all of those experiences mm-hmm. um, in, in my working life, which okay. has been great. And two and a half going into three years in the role, if yep. you had to think back over that time, you know, about one or two particular key achievements that you're really proud of, um, what would they be? Uh, it's a really good question, that one. Uh, I, I was reflecting about over the Christmas break mm-hmm. and I shared with the team earlier this calendar year. If I think about last year, we, it, last year was an amazing year and it was full on because um, of everything going on externally yeah. and internally and um, and there were a whole heap of achievements in that that actually didn't really think didn't realise we'd done it all uh-huh. until afterwards and yeah. I didn't realise how taxing the year had been on mm. everyone including myself because I see them on three weeks holiday and two weeks in I was still tired yeah. and, still, and, and it was but it was starting to lift right. and realising and then I started to reflect on how much everyone had achieved so mm. um, and there were lots of things it wasn't one great big thing but yeah. but we committed to a particular uh, strategy or plan uh, over 18 months in one part of the business and and we delivered everything we set out to do mm. on top of dealing with the activity around the Royal Commission and different mm. regulatory things going on mm-hmm. and changes in the market and changes in the economy and so that was great but we hadn't probably and I as the leader hadn't probably paused enough and celebrated that enough and recognised it enough mm-hmm. as a team and, and you know I kind of reflected back and went wow there's just this list of things mm. that as any one thing's interesting but actually collectively it was mm-hmm. really uh, very important and uh, that was great I think for us as a team um, had some awards uh, along the way I've been recognized by different people business bank of the year last year I think mm-hmm. which was interesting great. for us and good and other things they're, they're, they're good things but actually the reflections for me um, are as much about some of the people things that have happened as well people mm-hmm. um, you know some decisions uh, made around people that have paid me back in spades and Mm -hmm. seeing people develop again as I get a bit older in my career I get a lot more um, reward and satisfaction out of seeing people Mm -hmm. develop than I once did Mm -hmm. and that's been very good for me as well. Fantastic and so as you you mentioned you know last year was a very challenging year for the banking industry in general when you're sitting there uh, in your role now and looking out towards the future Uh, One of the things that you were excited about for Suncorp and one of the things that you're excited about perhaps for the industry? Yeah, so I think if I start with the industry, you know, I just have this passionate belief that a good economy leads to a good society and fundamental to a good economy is a strong, stable and functioning banking sector. Yeah. Uh, And so it's not about the economy, it's about the society we live in. Mm -hmm. And, And I do think Australia has... A different position to say the US where it doesn't seem to be able to properly care for its people with its health system mm-hmm. or indeed educate most people mm-hmm. fairly mm-hmm. and I think that's not the best world in the country mm. um, so for me that's really important uh, that we are you know as a country uh, we, we're part of that and you know so I think then the financial services sector needs to enable a good strong economy mm-hmm. we, we do borrow a lot of money from offshore we need confidence in this country to get that money because in the scheme of things Australia is not that important mm-hmm. around the world mm-hmm. uh, and we do have a lot of confidence from overseas investors in our financial services sector so 
So as part of that industry, one of my key roles is to make sure we build confidence and trust uh, in the sector, and that really starts taking me into a Suncorp's role in that. So mm -hmm. um, what's our role in restoring the confidence and trust mm -hmm. in financial services, and particularly in banking uh, and insurance for that matter? Uh, in this country because you know if we can do that well we'll get the economy to work well we'll get society to be a good place so mm -hmm. they're all good things um for suncorp obviously you know we've got large players in the industry who are dealing with the fallout of, of a range of things um you know at an industry level we're all dealing with a lot more regulatory change and supervision and and, and those we're dealing with a customer base who in aggregate are skeptical and cynical mm -hmm. of what we do and i've got a big team of people who uh, aren't sure if um, it's okay to, to, to you know to say yes all the time when right. people ask us to lend the money and, yep. and we've got to restore that confidence mm. for the people mm -hmm. you know I, I've always been lucky to work with some very talented people we want to continue to attract and retain talented people mm -hmm. to the sector so mm. it needs to be a destination someone if people want to work and have a career in this sector and mm -hmm. as a you know, in a role like mine, that's an important part of my job as mm -hmm. someone who's got to further the, the aims of both the company and the sector. Build the bench of talent. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we just can't afford to have people opt out of this as a career choice because mm -hmm. the reputation of mm -hmm. the industry mm -hmm. means it's not an attractive place for people to want to work. And do you think that that's a real thing, particularly with younger people coming into their careers who seem to have a much uh, more important place on um, social capital? Yeah. Um, is that affecting the bank in terms of attracting talent? I worry that it will affect the sector. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, it's a big employer. You know, I could do the PR job for the banking sector, financial service sector, but the biggest tax pay, mm -hmm. paying industry in the country. So it's an important sector. Uh, but the, I'm not sure that we're seeing it at this time. I'm, I worry about people who've got, you know, five to ten years worth of experience saying, actually, um, I'm in a position where I could go and start something else in another industry and I'm right. not sure what the future holds yeah. in this sector, so I might do that. And, and losing people at that stage of experience mm. in a sector that runs long cycles mm. um, it would be would be unfortunate. So mm. so that's the ones I worry about more. I think mm -hmm. for graduates coming through, um, we've clearly got to, you know, it's still a, a career choice that offers you lots of choices mm -hmm. from a career development point of view. Mm -hmm within the one company. You can be a data disc jockey, you can be a technologist, you can be a digital guru, you can be a relationship banker, you can be a finance person, an accountant, a treasury. Mm -hmm. There are so many jobs still to do in, in the sector where you can be fantastic and work with big, big you know, numbers and mm -hmm. lots and lots of data if data is your thing. So, you know, we still offer fantastic jobs, but we need to make sure we appeal uh, and for new people, but particularly to retain mm -hmm. the good people who mm -hmm. are at that stage of their career. Mm. And as you said, this is a, not a Suncorp thing, this is an industry thing. Yeah. So is there much cross-pollination of ideas and uh, between the major banks about, number one, how do we re rebuild confidence, and number two, how do we retain quality people? Is there dialogue about that? There's certainly been lots of dialogue about the impact of the last 12 months on people. Right. And, you know, I think there's a sort of saying, most people like their bank, but they don't like banks at the moment. Right. And uh, there's probably a truism in there. But yeah. one of the things we have seen is the impact on the frontline staff and some people choosing to blame frontline staff for, you know, whatever's gone wrong in bank A or bank B sure. or the industry. And um, that's hard. Those people aren't paid a lot of money. They yeah. come in, they do a great job. If you've ever sat in a call centre, which I try and do every couple of months, and right. listen to the calls, 
you have some awesome people. They've only got 35% of communication tools available because yep. it's voice only, no body sure. language. Yeah. And the way they deal with stuff and serve customers is just awesome mm. to experience. Mm. But they also receive the phone calls yeah. when bad news hits the press and, mm. and they get people's opinions given to them. And mm. it's tough because, you know, that is a transferable skill working in yeah. a call centre. You can go and do that somewhere else. And Definitely. Again, we don't want to lose those people. Yeah. So, so that's a big feature, I think, at the industry. In terms of building trust and confidence, absolutely, that's a massive topic mm-hmm. for the banking association mm-hmm. and... and uh, and it's clearly something we've got to do a lot of work on, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as somebody who's currently going through my own banking challenges, and I won't mention the bank that I'm with, but uh, uh, after four months of just terrible service, I wrote a letter to their chief operating officer, and I said, look, you might want to listen to my podcast. I have a big audience, and uh, I would hate to have to share with my audience my current experiences. And literally within five minutes, the head of business banking from Brisbane's on the phone. Oh, Mr. Triggs. But um, uh, yeah, I think uh, particularly for small business owners, where our banking relationship is so critical yes. to just being able to open the doors, um, uh, there has been a lot of confidence lost. And uh, it's going to be interesting. And then I have friends who work in the mortgage broking industry, and then obviously with what's happened with that and so on. Um, it's going to be some uh, uh, interesting times for a little while to come. But what was your comment about um, challenge? Never waste a good... Um, never waste a crisis. Like, so, never waste a yeah, crisis. Yeah, look, I think the broker industry is... Yeah, it's interesting to try and work out why it became such a feature of the of the final recommendations mm. in itself. There were some isolated incidents and they were bad. Mm. Don't get me wrong. But you know, I, I've met a lot of brokers. I spend time out and about with them and... I just find the vast majority of brokers are professional people who want to do the right thing by their client. Sure. And I think the same is true of financial advisors, to be frank, and that's not a popular thing to say, but mm-hmm. I, I genuinely believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we clearly we'd like to see a vibrant professional broking industry. Does it need to change a bit? Yes. Um, uh, and we support those changes. Very good to see both sides of politics, if there's only two sides at the moment, I'm not sure. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, looking to, to take some sensible approaches mm-hmm. to this because uh, more than half the country uses a mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, there must be some value in there mm. uh, being delivered to, to customers. There mm. uh, must be some more choice, bring some more competition. And you know, as a member of a smaller bank, uh, you expect me to say this, but we think competition you know, shines a massive light on conduct and, mm-hmm. and, and helps, helps improve conduct across the sector mm-hmm. and that less competition would actually make it harder to see that uplift. Sure. And so coming back to you, um, you know, nearly three years into uh, your CEO, what would you say are the things that you love about being a CEO and what are some of the things that you perhaps uh, don't love so much? Yeah, look, I, I, I like to seeing the end-to-end things. I love understanding how things work mm-hmm. and why things happen. And, uh, you know, and that's fantastic. I get to see that. Uh, I get to be across so many different things. So I can walk into Treasury and we can talk about what's going on in interest rates and and, and funding markets, and that fulfills my little need to understand mm-hmm. markets and mm-hmm. talk about that stuff. And then I can go and see customers, and we can talk about what's in the ground on their farm or how they right. reimagined a particular process in their small business. Uh, or I can um, spend time with the people in our team who are just doing the stuff, and, mm-hmm. and uh, that's really good. Um, and so that gives me a lot of uh, enjoyment, I must say. Um, the challenge, look, the more senior the role, the more lonely it can become. Yes. And uh, uh, I guess that's something, again, I've heard from a lot of people and 
it's obvious it's becomes obvious as to how true that mm-hmm. statement is mm-hmm. uh, uh, over time and it's not that I don't I work with some amazing people right around me yeah uh, close to me who, who you know are fabulous and but it is still you know at some point there are decisions that are kind of decisions for one to make yeah uh, and, and that's not simple mm-hmm. and and you know the impact of getting them wrong uh, is much bigger than when you were a more junior person mm-hmm. um, and I'm just someone who believes if I could get 65% of everything I decide right, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be working. I'd be on a massive super yacht in the Bahamas sure. because, you know, the maths just works on trading. Yeah. And so, you know, to believe you get everything right as a senior executive is just very either very naive mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or you're never making decisions. But mm-hmm. uh, So I have to accept a lot of things I decide are going to be mis- I'm going to get not right. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. And do you use a business coach or somebody, you mentioned some earlier mentors, do you have a sounding board that you can talk to openly and, and get some quality feedback? Yeah, I've not been one to have a, full, a coach all the way through a long period of time. Yeah. I, I have used coaches for different reasons over time mm-hmm. to help me um, in particular aspects, mm-hmm. uh, understand things better. And then I have probably a, you know, an, an interesting circle of people I can reach out to and say, talk about things. Right. If you want a better description, chew the fat. Yeah. Uh, and just bounce things around with. And that's that's really valuable. Some of those mm-hmm. are people I've worked with before. Mm-hmm. You know, might have, might have been reported to me, but, sure. you know, just friends now who, yeah. who you know, can put me back on the straight and narrow, slap me across the face and <laughs> get me to take a good look in the mirror. So And obviously keep your confidence, which is a big thing. Yeah, that's that's the key. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you obviously have peers around a table. Mm-hmm. You can talk to and other things, but um, uh, they, you know, there's, there's just uh, not horses for courses. But I know others who've used a coach for a long period of time, and it's worked incredibly well for yeah. them. But uh, just who I am and how I yeah. do things, it's not worked as well for me. Notwithstanding, I've had some fabulous uh, coaches along yeah. the way. Oh, look, I would certainly, um, again, my own situation, having had very different coaches at different times, and. A lot of senior executives doing the same. I think it's the right approach. You know, um, different horse for a different course. But um, it's interesting. I'll have people on here who are CEOs, and I know that they're being coached because I've introduced them to the coach that is coaching them, and I say, ask them the question. Oh no, I've you know I've never used a coach because this, you know, this kind of thing. Where if I've got a coach, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Versus if I'm you know a tennis champion. Of course I have. I probably have three coaches. I've got a forehand coach, a backhand coach, a diet coach, a conditioning coach. But in business, it's almost like uh, it's a dirty secret to say that you've got a coach. One of the things I've kind of worked out in the last few years is um, as I mentor um, people, advise people, whatever the right saying is around some sub, you know, courses as a QUT at mm. EQ and, and even um, junior staff or others and or people who used to work in our team who've left and still catch up. I learned as much. I say, they say to me, you know, what are you going to get out of this? You know, you must be giving up a lot of your time. I go, actually, I'm going to learn a lot from you. Yeah. And um, I find that really valuable. Mm. And uh, uh, so they're coaching me on different things. Sure. Uh, and that's great. So yeah. it's really good. And yeah. You, again, if I think about the things that really motivate me in a work sense, learning, challenge, and achievement, you know, I just love learning mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and understanding how things work and why things happen. Mm-hmm. So looking to the future now, um, where do you see your career going from here? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'm, um, you know, I, I like the fact that I get opportunities to work with a not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. I like this concept of what the purpose is and what you're doing mm-hmm. for society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'd really like to be part of the sector and financial services as it rebuilds trust and confidence, mm-hmm. and, and we, you know, 
the economy and therefore society in this country powers through. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see the farm sector get stronger and bigger and better uh, in this country. I think it's such an opportunity for a sustainable export industry that mm -hmm. we've just got to get right. You know, it's, it's a really exciting time to do lots of different things. Uh, I probably just need to work out um, how much time I actually have to do them all. So, um, <laughs> Well, you're a young yeah. fella like me. We've got, <laughs> we've got plenty of time, haven't yeah, we? Yeah. I think uh, from all the you know gene therapy and all the stuff that's happening now, it's very conceivable we will be working at 80 to 90, hopefully out of choice rather than necessity. But so... You know, the runway for career is much longer than it ever has been before. It is, and you certainly see in the States, you know, and there's obvious examples, high-profile examples of people who are who are well past 80 still seem to be doing a pretty yeah. thorough job of working and sure. making big decisions. So I don't know if I want that to be me right. at this point, but uh, that's still a fair way off. So um, uh, we'll see what, uh, you know, the next 10 years brings and then after that. But look, it's... You know, the, the, the work I love doing is the kind of work I do now. The CFO role was actually really great as mm -hmm. well. And Again, I, I don't measure my success as to how big the business is. It's, mm -hmm. it's the nature of what it is and, mm -hmm. um, and who it is I'm going to work with and who I work for and, mm -hmm. and what the purpose of it is. And, and again, this, I was lucky enough to do a course a couple of years back uh, at INSEAD and the thematic was around um, purpose or progress. Mm -hmm. It was actually the bigger, the bigger P out of that was progress. Mm -hmm. What's the contribution to the progress of the community and the mm -hmm. society in which your, your, your business operates? Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me and, and that's probably a bigger and bigger factor for me and that's why, again, going back to the ballet story, I think about the potential role for the arts mm -hmm. in developing southeast Queensland mm -hmm. and making it a destination in its own right. We've mm -hmm. got to evolve beyond being a place where there's some great beaches. Uh, because the, the future tourist market for this country is probably less um, Western and more Eastern. Sure. And, um, and it's not clear that surfing is, is the main no. thing that uh, people from, from Asia are particularly keen to do. And so what else causes people to want to come and visit this great place we will live in? Education being a very Education is a great example. Healthcare is, I just think, such a, a massive opportunity. Mm -hmm. what, what better place is there to be a... A medical professional, mm -hmm. uh, and then what greater place to heal? So it's, mm -hmm. I think it's fantastic. Um, the, both gov governments of all persuasions have invested heavily in in that infrastructure. We've got some fantastic hospitals in mm -hmm. southern Queensland now that, you know, teaching hospitals. If I was a 23-year-old medical student living on the coast, that'd probably be pretty attractive, I reckon. So sure. you know, there's a lot of things going well for us. Yeah. It's very, very exciting. Mm. Now, I know you're very busy, and so just to wrap it up, we've spoken a lot about David Carter when he's at work. Tell us a little bit about what you like to do when you're not working and where you go on holidays and stuff like that. Yeah, so I have uh, my lovely wife, Anita, and, uh, and a couple of children, although they're late teenagers now, so uh, increasingly holidays don't involve them all the time. But right. um, uh, uh, but we, um, what, we, we spend time in different places we uh, we go camping a little bit now okay. but not camping in terms of out in the middle of the bush with no right. toilets just pitching up somewhere like byron bay and enjoying the restaurants and the cafes yep. but just having to stay in the camp i spend a lot of time in hotel rooms so right. uh, the last thing i want to do on my holidays is spend time in a hotel room sure. so because it just reminds me of being at work so um uh, that's 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 enjoyable for me i mm -hmm. pretend i typically get to a gym a few times a week okay. so i try and keep fit uh, and um, you know I often or not as frequently as was intended but often go riding on a Sunday morning with my daughter and it's just neat to be able to have a quick ride it's nothing too taxing and right. then, uh, have a coffee and a hot chocolate and you know, probably spend more time talking to her then in that time. Than, Are you um, a mammal? 
I, uh, I do have that equipment. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I don't photograph it. But right. uh, the um, yes, it's an amazing little cult, right. isn't it? So, and, uh, uh, yeah, and I, uh, a guy that I know, he has a Facebook group that's called My Bike Costs More Than Your Car. <laughs> well, I think for a lot of people, it's their bikes. Yeah, cost more than their car because you sometimes hear people talk about the various bikes they own. I'm only right. a single bike owner, yeah. and I'm not out often enough to do more. But sure. um, uh, you know, it's for me, it's as much about the time I spend with my daughter mm-hmm. um, as it is. It's nice to be doing something that's good for your fitness, but um, it's as nice. It's actually more about that little mm-hmm. piece of time than uh, than anything else. Great. Well, before we wrap it up, uh, is there anything we haven't spoken about that you'd like to or any initiatives you'd like to draw some attention to, uh, anything with the ballet or, or, uh, or what we've done? No, it's been fantastic. I, I thank you, Richard, and um, it's been good just to reflect on things. Yeah, yeah no, appreciate well, the opportunity. Uh, fantastic to have you along. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Richard. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.